G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The story. There's a church inside prison and there's also a mosque and they're literally right next to each other and um, listen to guy's English name, Rafan, and he was a teacher in the mosque and he was Muslim and um, he was having dreams and he came over and I think asked Andrew to interpret a dream and Andrew goes, that's Jesus, that's in your dream and so um, Rafan basically gave his life to the Lord. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax, welcome to The Story. Well, today we have part two of our conversation with Pastor Mark Soper, who's sharing with us about his childhood friend, Andrew Chan. Andrew was one of the Bali Nine that were arrested in 2005 for attempting to smuggle heroin out of Indonesia. As we heard last time, Mark and Andrew grew up together as kids. They attended Christian camps and spent holidays together. But sadly, Andrew's life would take a dark turn. And at 21 years old, he fell into the trap of trying to make some quick, easy money. Today, Mark shares how Andrew's faith grew while in prison and how Andrew was sharing his faith right up to the time he was executed. All that and more is coming up as Mark Soper continues his chat with Eric Scatterbo. Mark, what happened after Andrew Chan became a Christian in Bali? So early on for the first 12 months uh, or first six months, we would only get like three times a week, 15-minute visitation with him. So it was very, he was very isolated. So obviously yeah. you flew up there to be with him? Yeah, so I've been to Bali more times than I'd like to remember, but at least <laughs> once every year. And so after my brother went for a month with Michael, then I went for a month um, with Michael. Um, and, yeah, we just sort of worked it out from there. But for that, for that period of time, the only thing he had to read really was the Bible. And we didn't have a whole heap of contact with him. Um, but over that period of time, those short little, you know, I can remember going over and it was like two weeks into it and hadn't even seen him yet. And I got 15 minutes with him and, and just encouraging, you know, you know, hold on to that. Um, when you saw him the first time, when you first went to visit him, had he become yeah. a Christian already? I think he was on the journal to reading that stuff, but the conversation was a bit of a blur to be quite honest, but it was pretty quickly. But that was what I said, make sure, you know, you you hold on to, you know, those truths. And, and I can remember just flipping him some paper with some verses of Scripture on them. And that was as basic as it got. If anything, he probably led himself to the Lord. And then, then it was like a honing of his, of his faith, you know, uh, and he kept growing in that. Um, obviously, still, I want to say, immature and, and that. But and over a period of time, he's had so many good people invest in his life over that 10 years. So our family, but there's so many other people like... Um, Alan um, Wilkins is a guy um, down in Melbourne. He he mentored him. He's had a lot of good good people, and there was a Christian church service at the um, jail that he's at. And so it makes me proud to be a Christian, to be quite honest. The church capital C, that we have so many good people from all around the world that had come in and Andrew had connected with, and he knew so many people. He knew, oh, you know, this person, this person, people from overseas, and he would never say no to a visit. Mm. and he would devour books they would give him books this what else has he got to do so his faith really grew from a hunger for himself but also just having some good faithful men um, and women um, that invested in his life 
And so here he is in jail, and yeah. it's kind of going back and forth. Will he be executed? Because that yeah. was technically the sentence. He was sentenced to death by firing squad, but then it looked yeah. like he might get pardoned or something. Yeah. It kind of kept going back and forth. That had to yeah. be a very difficult thing, not knowing whether you're going to live or die. Yeah, I was over there. I actually testified at the, in the court case for the character of how I knew Andrew. Yeah. And um, out of everyone, I think Andrew handled it better than, than all the people around him. You think so? Yeah, I genuinely do. I can remember going into prison one time, and um, he had made a shirt. He'd obviously just pulled it out of a packet, and he got a maze, and, um, it, and it had Jesus sets me free. And um, I can remember, he's got a great sense of humor, and we had a bit of a laugh. I said, do you know how ironic that is? There's a guy on death row. <laughs> And you're wearing a shirt that says, Jesus sets me free. And then he had another shirt, and it was um, before I knew Jesus, unhappy face, and after I knew Jesus, smiley face. I've still got that shirt that he gave me wow. at home. But not knowing was difficult, but I think he just learned to live with it. He just made the most of it. He just lived each day as it come, and he didn't dwell on too much. He, you know, he was more worried about his parents um, and how they were going and, and all that sort of stuff. Amazing, really. Now, you would see him about once a year when you'd go to visit. Did you see growth every time you'd come? Yes. I mean, in the fact that he was, you know, involved more. He was not only just doing English classes, running Bible studies or doing that, but also you see times, I thought I had a different relation than most. Most people, you see him, and I probably was there more, like, not just as a friend, but I probably challenged him probably more than most people. I can remember... Whenever I'd go, I'd take someone with me. Take I took a couple of young boys that were going to go to schoolies, and I convinced them to come over to Bali with me instead of schoolies. And oh they wow! Got to see, that see was Andrew. a trip of a lifetime. Yeah, and here he's um, here he's testing me. And there's a couple of young guys I knew went off the rails, and I got Andrew to write him letters. And, um, awesome stuff. Tell us about that. He not only was growing himself, but he would write letters to other people to try to uh, yeah encourage like, other people to grow. Yeah, 100%. I asked him, can you write a letter to this particular And they write letters. And um, I can remember one of them, the letters that he wrote to one of the girls from my um, church when I was a youth pastor at Hurstville. Um, and she, um, well, I don't know, 10, 10 or so, 15 years later, she became my youth pastor. <laughs> oh, wow. So, and so it's amazing to sort of how those things go. But he was always willing to help anyone or, or do anything for anyone. He would never say no or I couldn't do this. But, but my relationship was probably like, you know, challenge him, how are you going with this? What are you doing? And and just seeing his interaction with other inmates and things like that. And I'm very much, you know, now that you're, you're saying this, you're professing this, you've got to make sure that you live it, even with little things. Yeah. Didn't you yeah. say that somebody said, hey, how come you're giving that guy such a hard time? Don't you know he's on death row? Yeah. I got a couple of mates that came over with me and, and they said, mate, you're a bit hard on him. He's, <laughs> he's on death row. I said, mate, he needs it because he doesn't always get tough love. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. when someone's on death row, everyone... You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, he, he's, at the end of the day, he was still a human being that needed to grow and needed to learn things. So yeah. he needed an older brother in the Lord, like yourself, to point yeah. out when he was maybe not doing things that he should have done. Yeah. And I think um, Alan Wilkins, um, he's an amazing Christian guy, and he invested a lot of time in the world. And probably over the back end of the years, over five, six, probably even longer years, he invested a lot of time in Andrew and his character and that's really discipling and mentoring and that's what was happening here you know mm-hmm. we weren't we didn't have a perfect product in Andrew he got converted he's perfect but he was still on the journey mm-hmm. and growing you know as long as you're headed in the right direction it doesn't matter if you stumble from time to time as long as you're going in the right direction so. yeah 
So talking about his growth, what were some of the things that he did? You mentioned that he led Bible studies. What else did he do? Yeah, like he would lead church service. I can remember going to a church service in the Bali prison, and um, they have them every fortnightly. Um, and he would, you know, lead worship. It wasn't the best thing, but he led worship. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he, uh, you know, would, would preach or teach. He'd wow. English speaking classes. Um, he enrolled in the back end, enrolled in Harvest Bible College. People don't know about that. And, and just before he was removed from the prison in Bali, um, Krabikan um, Prison, he received his certificate of Christian theology. People don't know about that, and it wasn't really released, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, so he, he was always wanting to, to learn more and invest in people and, and sort of help others. Uh, as an interesting story, um, in the prison, people probably can't fathom this, but there's a church inside the prison, and there's also a mosque, and mm-hmm. they're literally right next to each other. Uh-huh. And um, this is a guy's English name, Rafan. It's, I don't know how to pronounce it in uh, Indonesian. And he was a teacher in the mosque, and he was Muslim. And um, he was having dreams, and he came over and I think asked Andrew to interpret a dream. And Andrew goes, "That's Jesus." Um, oh wow! That's in, in your dream. And so um, Rafan basically gave his life to the Lord. Wow! Um, Andrew told with a bit of uh, humour, uh, he tells the story that they thought they were going to kill Rafan if he converted from. Islam to, mm-hmm. to Christianity and they met him in the prison there's all these people around and, and Andrew had sort of come in and um, Andrew just put his armor around him like he said something something smart like a bit really that he, I don't even know you had to take Andrew and says um, you know something like we're lovers not fighters or something like this I, I can't remember what it was and and sounds crazy they did not lay a finger on him and Rafan was that he was a prisoner um, now he converted to Christianity, and now I'm Facebook friends with him. He's um, going around Indonesia converting um, people from Islam to Christianity and oh, using wow. the, the Quran to bring people to the Lord. I mean, so that's just that's oh, one that's story. fantastic. Yeah, of, of a number of stories of like sort of what happened, and that's only God does that. Um, but he used Andrew as a bit of a vessel to um, bring him to faith. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Now I read a quote from Andrew, he said, I love being a pastor in prison. No one can leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the sort of humor, like, it sounds crazy that you can laugh, but yeah. that's the sort of, like, beautiful humor that he had, and, yeah. and just reminds him, he made everyone feel good around him, but he says that, like, you know, it's not like you can say, where have you been? It's like, I know where you've been. <laughs> like, but no, he did, he did love being a pastor. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is once again chatting with Mark Soper about his childhood friend, Andrew Chan, who was one of the Bali Nine that were arrested in 2005 for attempting to smuggle heroin out of Indonesia. We'll hear more of Mark sharing about Andrew's life and the incredible way God was using him in prison when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're back with more of Eric Scadabo chatting with Mark Soper about his childhood friend, 
Andrew Chan. Andrew was one of the Bali Nine that were arrested in 2005 for attempting to smuggle heroin out of Indonesia. Before the break, we heard how Andrew was growing in his faith and about the wonderful impact he was having in the prison. Now, here's more of Mark sharing about Andrew's short but fruitful ministry in prison. And then he met his wife, Phoebe. Tell us about how he met Phoebe. Yeah, so Phoebe was working for people that basically Christians going into prison and doing a prison ministry. Mm -hmm. And she basically sort of came in and obviously Andrew was sort of going to church and they sort of met. And and over years, we're talking years here, um, they just fell in love. (laughs) Um, Wow. You can't even fathom that. And it's been really difficult for Phoebe as well. I mean, imagine you're her parent and she tells you, I'm in love with a convicted drug smuggler. Oh, um, yeah. It probably doesn't go down too well. I mean, um, she was a pastor. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's involved in ministry and then she falls in love with a prisoner. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's so crazy. You know, it just sounds fake, you know what I mean? But that's just what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And as we mentioned last time, your father officiated yeah. at their wedding. Yeah, yeah, he did their, did their wedding. I mean, they've been wanting, wanting, they were waiting, I think, because they were hopeful that Andrew might be released. And, but this is how much Andrew loved, he didn't want to leave leave Indonesia. He had a dream that he wanted to go and start opening a, a, a school um, with with Phoebe um, in the part of Indonesia, which is highly a Muslim uh, area. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, they had that dream and, I can remember one time saying, you know, if the doors were open, would you walk out? Like, come back to Australia? And he says, no, because I want to come back to Indonesia. He loved the people in Indonesia. Oh. He, felt, he felt he had a love for people. Like, you know, um, when he left the prison in Bali, in Krobukan prison, and they moved him to, to the other island, um, everyone wept. All mm. the, the guards cried. Um, the guards? Yes, yes. They, they loved Andrew. He was... This larrikin, he was, very, he was just very likable. He sort of become family, made it sort of like, you know, he knows everyone. And, and obviously in the prison in Indonesia, it's not every day that you get someone like, I suppose, Andrew and um, all the visitors would come in. I can remember going, originally when you used to go, there'd be a couple of people on the list that, you know, would visit Andrew and had to be on the list, right? And because so many people kept visiting, <laughs> they had to get the Australian consulate, they had to... to to sign more people in and Andrew's list was just pages and pages long to find my name you know what I mean but he he would never say no to a visitor and he just loves people so um, wow yeah now getting back to Phoebe she eventually after Andrew's death she did follow that dream that they had yeah Phoebe has sort of started to fulfill that she started a school and she's doing some great work out there I've seen photos of the build um and she's done some talks um, at the Salvos and amongst other heaps of other churches and, and raising money for a school. And so in the middle of, um, she'd be the only Christians around her area and um, she's just phenomenal. You know, I can remember she was collecting Lego. The kids at the school would just love Lego and they had to get a handful of pieces and um, just crazy things like this. And she's one of the most amazing godly women you'll ever find. She's, she's wow. really, you know, That's amazing. great. So. She's going strong for the Lord. Now, tell us yeah. about Andrew. He was concerned about the other prisoners. He wanted to help them. Yeah, all sorts of things. I mean, one of the things that we don't realize is how fortunate we are, but even the basic necessities that we have, like um, 
we can afford things. So people would be coming to Andrew and asking, oh, can you help me financially with this or that? This is in, in prison. And Andrew, you can't help everyone. Um, and so Andrew, I think, started looking at ways of raising money, you know, so he was selling T-shirts or all sorts of things that you know Andrew wasn't afraid to ask for things because <laughs> you don't have because you don't ask so he just he just I said Andrew that's rude you shouldn't be asking so and so to pay for you know this or whatever or he'd um, let people know hey this person needs help can you give him help to raise some money so he can uh, like you know he, he's uh, one of his prisoners um, kids was in hospital and couldn't afford the, the care or something and so Andrew could get people you know putting toward money towards that to help this prisoner inmate's daughter and but just all sorts of little things like this and so he, he just was really sort of um on, and i eventually said to him mate you got to keep a logbook of all this stuff <laughs> i said you don't want to start you know getting um you know getting in trouble doing the wrong thing so you can be above reproach you know yeah so then he started a logbook and he would write down when receive money from people and where it went to and all that sort of stuff so more from accountability point of view yeah so, so it sounds like yeah. he kind of became a celebrity prisoner to a certain extent yeah. yes and no sort of like when you we joke around saying he, he was the pastor to the prisoners but he was a pastor to the, the people in there and and then famous pastors throughout australia were contacting him yeah like a lot of people a lot of christians around australia and had visited andrew and they're over in bali on a holiday and oh, i might go and see if i can drop in and you know, and most people would bring food, so Andrew... Andrew no wonder why take, he didn't turn anybody away. <laughs> <laughs> but also, that's hence for the other prisoners, so he would give away what he didn't Oh, need. I see, okay. So you think about it, so yeah. obviously food and resources are coming in, um, that helps other people, it's sort of, yeah, I don't know, but there's some of the perks, I suppose, for other inmates. Now, the irony is, I mean, he's a good networker. He's using his newfound kind of celebrity status to help other people. Yeah. You know, so he's kind of an entrepreneur, but it was his, you know, wanting to do well with money that kind of got him in this trouble in the first place. Yeah, that's right. But now, as a newborn child of God, he's using that skill to help others and for the glory of God. Yeah, I think we got him into trouble uh, with the things that he was good at, but they were just harnessed in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So he was redeeming these skills and being a blessing to others. Yeah. But unfortunately, all of the appeals eventually ran out and the execution date finally came. Yeah. Your father was there? Yeah. So we Were you there? The, yeah, I was at the island where we were staying with the Australian consulate and, and whatnot and I was with my dad and with some other like um, heroes um, who have journeyed with Andrew for a long time. So there's a little bit of a handful of us um, mm-hmm. that were there. And over like three weeks or four weeks when he was on that island before he would be executed, you'd only get, uh, I think, four visitors. And I think it was twice a week or something like that. And, and then you had to have the lawyer and then you had someone else, someone else official and then two others. And um, so, yeah, so it's a weird sort of, place to be there but when I saw him I got to go I was almost one of the ones who got to visit him and um, he was just strong I know it sounds crazy but he he wasn't scared of dying wow he genuinely had that sort of faith that what's the worst can happen I go to heaven or I or I get a reprieve on the last hour and I stay alive like um, sort of he was assured of his eternal destiny and he, and he says you know um yeah, I, I can't picture it. If, if his strength helped us more so than the other way mm. around. And as we mentioned before, he married Phoebe 
like a day yeah. or two before he was executed. Yeah. But yet the wedding photo, he's got this big smile on his face. Mate, that, that's the type of character he was. No one, unless they know Andrew, they they have no understand the joy, the laughter, and he was under, you know, if you look in scripture, you know, under persecution from his own doing, you know, he's mm. done the wrong thing. Yeah. But he he was totally transformed. There's no doubt about it. And yeah. that was it off. You can prove, you, prove that they've transformed. Well, they'll transform. They had the the head guy of the jail wrote a letter to say that he's transformed that, and in all of all his years of working in uh, prisons, he's never seen a more you know upright inmate and, and all that. But he was transformed, and and he was you know he was praying and fasting. A lot of people were praying and fasting right up until the end. You know, like he was in a weird way a good place. You know, and that's sort of even when he when it when it came to an end, he he was standing upright. And um, my dad doesn't talk about it much. Well, he hadn't talked about it for a little while, and then eventually uh, he, he shared some stuff a couple of years later. Um, this he's never spoken about. This he was within at the end. He he says he was just you know sort of heroic, um, and yet and before his final moments, my dad had a bit of a personal joke with each other, and he says I've never laughed so much. Really? Like, this is my this is my dad. So they you know the. Andrew loves animals. I'm telling you a bit of a personal story here, but um, Andrew loves animals, and um, he's always loved animals. And um, this is just before he was um, his final moments, and so my dad had some time with him, and obviously they prayed, and you know mm-hmm. they, um, you know, told each other they sort of loved each other and all that sort of stuff, and shared some things. And my dad gave Andrew his wedding ring, um, so uh, Andrew, um, you know, they, they had he had that as well, and. They were telling a funny story, and people think this is crazy. Um, that he he says, Andrew, what's your favourite animal? He says, it's an elephant. And my dad says to him, he says, that's because they're loud, just like you, and they just for like a minute just <laughs> laugh, like belly laugh, like and just laughed and laughed and laughed. And it's just like it's like it's like laughing in the face of you know adversity or and uh, and um, I don't know. It was just when my dad told me that, I know it brought me a bit of. Uh, of joy that even towards the end he he you know he was still Andrew and and the circumstances didn't change who he was or what he lived for now the newspaper reports say that when he was executed he was singing well first singing Amazing Grace yeah and then also 10,000 Reasons yeah they managed to uh, finish the first verse of the song Mm. Yeah, so that they were singing that as they were tied up, and um, when my dad came back, he had lost his voice, and I couldn't understand why. My dad never talked about it for a couple of years, and then eventually we sort of found out why he lost my voice because when um, they were sort of you know tied up, ready for execution, um, they were singing that song, and my dad was my dad could hear, uh, he couldn't see, but he could hear Andrew and and them singing, and he was singing. He was singing so loud that he knew Andrew could hear him. Oh, I see. And, um, mm. and so he was singing loud so that they knew that they were there and each other. And then, mm. and so, I don't know, my dad would never talk about this. That's sort of a beautiful thing that in, in spite of whatever he's going to face, he wasn't scared of dying. He, was, he knew where he was going. And it sort of, if anything, encouraged me that um, my daughter said something beautiful one day. She says, Daddy. When we get to heaven, we get to see Andrew. <laughs> hmm. And um, 
you know, I, I believe one day we'll, he'll be there and I'll be there and um, oh, it'll be good to see him. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Well, what a heartbreaking scene that must have been. Mark's father singing 10,000 Reasons as loud as he could so that Andrew could still hear him over the wall until the shots rang out at the execution. It's just heartbreaking. And the lyrics to that song are very powerful. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. And on that day, when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending, 10,000 years and then forevermore. Well, we're going to hear more of Andrew's story next time, including how Andrew was still bringing glory to God even after his death at his funeral in Australia. Mark Soper was asked by Andrew to read the eulogy he'd written. It contains a message for all of us. Until next time, when we'll hear more of Andrew's story, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. The last moments here on earth, I sing out hallelujah. I ran the good race, I fought the good fight, and I came out a winner in God's eyes and men. I do have a story to tell. I leave now in peace and love. I pray that you will all know how I I valued and treasured you, treasured your love and friendship. Mark Soper was asked by Andrew Chan to read his eulogy at his funeral after Andrew was executed in 2015. Andrew was one of the Bali Nine that were arrested in 2005 for attempting to smuggle heroin out of Indonesia. Andrew later became a Christian and Mark will share about the lasting impact he's had on many people's lives next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.